Somewhere across the bifrost way up high Welcome to episode 10 of Across the Bifrost. I'm your host, Sung Soo, and I'll be joined shortly by my co-host, all the way from London, Pat Dunford. Initially, we were going to take a look at Crisis Cards, kind of building up to a culmination point of when we can talk about roster construction in general, which I'm still very excited to do when it's on the docket, but Atomic Mass Game dropped the doozy on us, and we have Asgard pre-releases, uh, spoilers, I guess, not pre-releases, and we're going to be talking about them. Before we dive into this, I do want to thank my supporters real quickly, everyone on Patreon who's been uh, signing up and keeping the spice flowing for the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm really happy with where the Discord's been. Uh, there's a lot of great conversations on there. It's a great way to get a hold of Pat, myself, Jay Larson's in there, Greg Webster, Charles Omnis. There's a whole bunch of great people in there. Uh, just another benefit for joining up and signing up for the Patreon. I do also want to take a minute and thank Muse on Minis and Discount Games Incorporated. Their support of all of my podcasting forays has never been in question, and I want to thank them again. Discount Games Incorporated will be backing our next giveaway, which will be next month in February. And Muse on Minis is always a great creator of high-quality gaming products. All right, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Pat about everything Asgard. On the line now, we have the Doctor Strange of Marvel Crisis Protocol, Pat Dunford. Pat, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Sam. I'm incredibly excited to talk about Asgard. Oh my gosh, how cool is this stuff? I'm, I'm super excited as well. I can't wait for it. I did want to take a minute and stop for anyone who missed the update on Patreon. Patreon.com slash across the buy for us. You can see all of the updated cards uh that were released on the spoilers that's free you don't have to remember the patreon for any of these things uh so just patreon.com slash across the buy for us you can kind of follow along with us we're not going to read the cards verbatim uh but you can have the kind of have the cards there as a reference point i thought that was pretty handy also like i mentioned in the intro the discord is alive and popping come have out talk with us uh some great discussions around tactics rosters and more um, it's a, it's a fantastic benefit and it's available at either Patreon tier. So if you're interested in supporting the podcast and getting some great Marvel crisis protocol conversations in, uh, yeah, consider the, uh, Patreon, if nothing else for the discord. Mm, I've really been enjoying the discord. I'm speaking there pretty much every day. Now we have a lot of stuff going on, talking about new and upcoming releases, talking about tactics and strategy. It's been really great. So I'd love to see some more people there. Absolutely. And I know we're excited about Asgard, but before we get into Asgard, I have one curveball to throw out there, Pat. Mm -hmm. I know I, I didn't mean to surprise you with it. I'm just curious. Uh, a couple people have commented about the intro music that the fantastic Devin sang for me. I love the intro music, but I'm willing to put it out there as a challenge. If you have intro music you think would be better, go ahead and send it to me. Uh, you can email me at potatoesartasty at gmail.com. That's actually my email address, potatoesartasty at gmail.com. Send me your intro music, and you know what? If I like it, if Pat likes it, we will use it as an intro for a future episode. So I've heard you. I understand that for some reason you have bad taste in music and you don't like our intro music, but I'm willing to listen to fan submissions for additional intro music. So uh, if you have something, if you think you can create something, I would love to hear it. So again, uh, gauntlets in your court. Gauntlets in your court? Balls in your court. Gauntlets something else. <laughs> the gauntlet like has been thrown. Yes, the gauntlet has been thrown. Thanks, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> all right well atomic mass games has given us a ton of content on their stream this week pat and i were going to talk about crisis cards but instead we're doing a double episode on asgard uh the episodes will be broken down by box 
And the after the credit scenes will be the crisis from the Thor box and the infinity gem slight spoiler from the Loki box. We won't be going over all the stack cards word for words, like we mentioned before, but all the pictures are available on the Patreon for everyone to follow along. So Pat, which box would you like to start? I think we have to start with Thor, right? I mean, he's the leader of the Asgardian affiliation. And because we're looking at all the Asgardians, we're going to need to talk about the affiliation, the leadership and all that good stuff. Sure. I think starting with the Thor box is fantastic. Thor comes with two main uh, heroes. That's Thor, Prince of Asgard, and Valkyrie. And I think Pat kind of led us into it. I feel like we should be starting with the big guy himself, Thor, right? That's a good place to start, Pat. Mm-hmm. So where do we begin? Let's talk a little bit about what the guy does. And then maybe we can talk about some of the things that are so cool or so exciting about him. I think that sounds great. Cool. So um, big picture, Thor's a badass. Right, He's a five-point character, uh, our second five-point character in the game, and one of only three characters that are in that kind of price range alongside Hulk at six. Um, he's really durable. He's got 14 total stamina when you combine his front and back sides, and he's got really good defenses, 4-4-3. Four, four, he's got really powerful attacks. Uh, his strike is comparable to Hulk's. He's got a really long-range attack. He's got an AoE attack. Um, and he's got some really powerful superpowers as well that round him up to just seem like a really good bruiser, but who also can be relevant wherever he is on the table, no matter who he's fighting against. Absolutely. Like you said, he, he's, he's one of the most expensive characters we've been exposed to so far, but he's definitely worth uh, his weight in that regard. He does a ton on the table, and it's hard for me to think of a situation where you're not going to be able to get a lot of value out of him. Like Pat said, he has a normal strike with two-inch range. He has an AoE that's AoE 2. And he has a five-range, uh, I think I said two-inch, I apologize. He's a two-range strike. And he has a five-range hammer throw. So he's he's a very flexible character, as I'll say. He's able to put a hurt on from a variety of different ways. Yeah. Um, so looking at those attacks in particular, um, I think one of the things that's interesting to think about is do you uh, use him primarily for his strike as his free attack, or do you throw out a bunch of range 5 hammers? The strike is a little bit more powerful and it's free, but the hammer only costs one power. Um, it still does good damage, and it applies shock. And this is the first time that we've seen the shock condition, right? Absolutely. And do you mind telling people what shock does? Because I honestly wasn't sure when I saw this spoiled on stream. Sure. So it's a condition. So once it's applied to your character, it's going to stay on there until you shake it or until you become dazed. Um, and while you're shocked, you lose one dice on all of your attacks, uh, which is super interesting, right? It means that if you want, you can have Thor, who's already a tough character, stay back and at the start of the game, throw out some hammers, shock um, the opposing team members, and really reduce the amount of damage that he and the rest of the team are taking. Right, and kind of getting ahead of ourselves here, but that's you, you kind of asked, do you want to be strike-based, do you want to be hammer-throw-based? I kind of see you forcing them to come into your strike range by leveraging hammer-throw, right? Uh, one of the negatives I think about Thor, one of the very few negatives, is he's only speed medium. Mm -hmm. uh, he's not as fast as some of the other characters out there. But with the range 5 hammer-throw, I think you can leverage that, combined with shock and just a lot of pressure, kind of make them come into you, where unfortunately they found out that Thor is actually pretty good at striking. Yes. I think one thing we've got to mention, though, if you're talking about his um, moderate, shall I say, mobility, uh, is that he does have uh, a superpower that helps with that, right? 
He's got his four Asgard power, which is somewhat reminiscent of the charge superpower in that it lets you make a move action followed by a strike action. Um, and that really helps him, I think, uh, close the distance if you want to be dishing out those close range attacks. Absolutely. I think it's also worth noting that if the uh, the for Asgard move, the move that we're comparing to a charge move, damages someone, they also receive the stagger condition. So again, he's just got a, a few more control elements to his game in addition to being a really, really gnarly beater. And, and I think it's really important to have that ability to combine a move with an attack. We've, we've talked before in episodes how the ability to double attack consistently is very important. So him getting a charge-like ability, I think, was paramount. Yeah, it's interesting as well, because his strike is already very powerful, right? It has the ability that if you get a wild, it can throw characters. And the combination of that throw plus the stagger effect uh, puts it in a similar league to something like Hulk, sm Hulk Smash ability. It's only two dice less than the eight dice from Hulk Smash, and it has a similar effect in causing staggers and throws. No, absolutely, and to kind of come full circle on that, right? The ability of the character that you hit, that you stagger and theoretically throw to retaliate is going to be extremely uh, neutered, for lack of a better word. They're going to have to spend one of their actions to shake the stagger. They might be shocked. Let's not count on it, but you might have hit them with a hammer at some stage in your life. And then they have to spend one of their actions to either charge back into you, and if they don't have a charge, they're going to have to move into you if you've been able to throw them out of the range. So I think there's a lot of power in there, a lot of control. I, I really like that package so far, and honestly, we're only about halfway through his card. Yeah, I mean, his control is really strong just because it's on so many of his abilities. And um, the next superpower that I think is worth mentioning in that regard is just that he has a very, very good throw, right? This is, we see different kinds of throw superpowers on different characters, but this is one of the better ones where it can throw a lot of different sizes. And he's going to have the power more often than not to use that ability in a lot of turns. No, absolutely. I also really love the name Strongest Avenger. I think that <laughs> might be one of my favorite superpower names. And like Pat said, you can throw up to size four and you're throwing them medium. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, you're really chucking that building quite a good ways across the tabletop. I, I, For me, there's a lot of value in any model that has charge plus throw. I think that's just like a really nice combination. And by charge, I mean some way to move and then attack. So however you want to do that, whether it's for Asgard, whether it's the actual charge special ability, that's what I'm looking for, and, and I think it's just a really nice package. He has great ways to spend his power. Yeah, he really does. Um, of course, um, one of the things that makes Thor really, really attractive is that he isn't just good at spending power, he's also good at making power. Uh, he has the Asgardian keyword, and I think this is something that's worth spending a bit of time on, because we're talking about all four of the Asgardians um, over today, and they all are identified by this keyword. Uh, as guardian means that you generate an additional power during the power phase and that's incredible right it's a huge amount of extra power over the course of the game no absolutely and one of the great things about hulk is he generates that two additional so we've we've seen this mechanic before just on a slightly lower scale uh but again this is through all the characters we're going to cover and it really helps a lot we talked about how he has two superpowers he's going to want to spend he does have very affordable uh attacks but you are going to want to be using for Asgard. You definitely might want to be using Strongest Avenger. The fact that he's generating to himself a turn is very big. Um, I think it's a very nice quality of life buff. Yeah, I think it's more than just a quality of life buff, actually. I think it's a really big power increase because like with Hulk, he generates three a turn, but he has this hidden 
drawback, which is none of his um, attacks actually generate power for him. So if he gets ignored, so he isn't getting power from being damaged, then he doesn't actually have that much power to use. Whereas Thor and the other Asgardians still have good power generating attacks as well as generating two power at the start of every turn. And I think that means they're going to be able to get off a lot of really powerful and impressive plays over the course of the game. I think that's a great point. It also changes the math and when you can use different crisis cards. We talked about in our last episode, uh, but if you need four power or three power to use a crisis card, Thor in a vacuum can provide you that on as early as round two, where other characters might not be able to do that till round three or four. Um, so, so you're right. It might be more than a quality of life buff. It's definitely nice to have. It's a fantastic ability to have in this card. Yeah, for sure. Rounding out his card, he has flight. Uh, you know, again, I guess I'm going to call this one a great quality of life thing. Pat might disagree <laughs> with me, but I think flight's just a nice ability to have. It's not defining on him, but it makes a lot of sense. And the last thing is Prince of Asgard, which is the affiliation ability for Asgard. Yeah, now this is a big one because that means we've got a new affiliation in the game. He's the leader of the affiliation, so we're likely to see him on the table often. Um, and every time you get a new affiliation, well, you not only do you have to think of the affiliated characters through that lens, but also every other character in the game as well, and who might be good for that affiliation. So the Asgard affiliation is quite different from ones we've seen before, and it has a slightly unusual wording that you need to make sure you understand um, to really get the most out of it. And it is Prince of Asgard. At the start of each of your turns, one allied character may spend one power. If they do, remove one damage or one special condition from that character. Each allied character may use this leadership once per round. So, a couple of points I just wanted to make something about the rules here, because I see a lot uh, on Facebook people getting confused about turns and rounds. And you really need to know uh, the difference between them to actually use this ability. So the important thing to note here is a round is a round of the game, like round one, round two, round three. It has the power phase, the activations phase, where characters take turns activating, and then it has a cleanup phase. That's a round. And a turn is a turn that a character takes as part of the activations phase. So the way this leadership works, I know we're getting kind of technical here, but it's important is every time you activate a character, they're having a turn, you can spend one power. Now, it doesn't have to be the character that's activating that spends the power, it can be anyone, but each character in your team can only do this once per round. So they don't need to do it on their turns, but they can't do it multiple times in the same round. No, I think that's a great point. That's definitely come up a few times, and, and I think this is... One of my favorite affiliation abilities, though, um, I, I think mechanically that's a great thing to cover, but just from a strength utility standpoint, I think this is probably, yeah, this is my favorite affiliation ability so far, and you know what a diehard Avengers fan I am. I, I can't emphasize enough how utilitarian and useful this is. We talked about it himself. Thor himself is throwing out Stagger, has the ability, excuse me, to throw out both Stagger and Shock, right? And then he has great counterplay of himself in case you end up in a mirror match where he can kind of mitigate that a little bit with the additional power. It obviously synergizes great with Asgardian where you don't feel the expense as much. And we even talked about it in the Crisis Card episode. We spent a little bit of time talking about Second Wind, right, Pat? Mm -hmm. And Second Wind, we're devoting an entire Crisis Card for the ability 
for Avengers to possibly get rid of stun. <laughs> uh, in addition, they heal one, right? They do also heal one. Yep. But just when I compare that to Prince of Asgard, I'm like, wow, you know, Asgard is is very tempting. Yeah, it's interesting because, like you said, it's very powerful, but it's also very defensive. And all of the other leaderships so far have been much more offensive in nature. The closest one we've had probably is Wakanda that lets you re-roll um, defense and dodge rolls. But oftentimes people are using that to re-roll attacks, right? Uh, whereas this one is probably the most focused on defense and just outlasting your opponent. Yeah, I think you could make an argument that you could use this offensively, right? Your ability to get rid of stagger increases your damage output, right? But but I get what you're saying. It doesn't directly contribute to you smashing harder. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that covers most of Thor. I think we're both in agreement. I think Prince of Asgard is amazing. Wait, where do you rank it, Pat? I mean, people love rankings. I mean, nothing will get us Facebook mentions more than us ranking something properly. Okay, so where do I rank the leadership ability? Let's assume, yeah. So I, it's tough. I think it's the kind of question that... In order to answer, I've got to cover a lot of the stuff that we're going to go through during this episode and next, because it's not as simple as how good is that line of text, right? Because you're also affiliated to Asgard. So you have to think about what team tactics cards does that bring you? And what does your team composition look like? Because it means you are, you're always taking Thor and you're also taking a lot of the other Asgardians. So how powerful are they? How well do they work together? Um, and what is the opportunity cost, right? What are you giving up to get them? Having said that, if I ignore all of that stuff, I put it aside and I just look at... No, you know what, Pat? I think that's a great point. Let's go over that at the end of these two episodes. Right? Okay. We're going to do these two episodes. Let's do a nice callback to it at the end. We'll, we'll look at Prince of Asgard with all of the Asgard information we have. Because you're right, we shouldn't talk about this in a vacuum. And we can circle back to that. I think that's a very good quantifier. I did want to take a moment, if you're okay with it, and talk about God of Thunder a little bit. This is kind of our first real... Uh, I don't know how to word that. Words aren't working for me. This is awkward area of attack? Yes, outside of right Ultron, Master of Metal. So I, I think people could get a little bit confused by it. Pat, do you want to take a minute and just kind of go over some rules people might get hicked up on? Yeah, so when you make an area of attack, you take the appropriate measurement stick. So with Thor, it's A2, so you take the range 2 um, measure, and you check from the attacker, so from Thor's base, in all directions, and you make one attack against each enemy in range. It's also worth noting, and this is something people might forget, that um, it can also hit allied characters. Uh, but when it does, you don't attack them. You don't roll attack and defense dice. They just automatically take one damage. So that's important to keep in mind. Uh, there'll be times when a single point of damage is well worth the area effect, but as we know, all too often, you can have situations where taking a single point of damage can be a disaster. Um, and because it's a friendly effect that's doing that damage, that character also won't gain power. Yeah, I think it's very powerful. I had a ton of fun playing Ultron Master of Metal, and his area attack was amazing, for lack of a better word. It does cost six power, but it's a seven attack with area two. Uh, pe people kind of talk about vision and how like, oh, you can hit these perfect beams and get three or four people. Like you could talk about the perfect area of attack and you could just roll an insane amount of dice. It's kind of bonkers. Yeah, it's high potential for sure. But I mean, range two is still quite short. And this is the kind of attack that I think you need to be cognizant of on both sides because Thor's not too fast. He has to probably uh, 
make some sort of concession in order to get multiple characters in range. And you certainly want to think twice before ganging up on Thor with a lot of close range attackers because he might just punish you really hard for it. Absolutely. The last thing I kind of wanted to hit on with Thor before we moved on is Pat mentioned at the beginning his 14 total stamina. He only has six of that in his front side. He has eight of it on his backside. So I just thought that was interesting. He definitely gets a little tankier on the backside of the card. It was just kind of a cool nod, kind of the inverse of what MODOK ends up doing, right? Uh, but I do think that's interesting to see kind of how Atomic Mass Games continues to explore uh, different ways to distribute stamina. Yeah, I mean, it made me wonder, is it better to be even? Or is it better to be tilted one side or the other? I think with the way scenario play works, I would rather be tilted to my healthy side. I would rather have a MODOK spread, personally speaking. Just so that you are healthy for longer so that you can better contest objectives? Yes, that is my thinking, at least, for a completely off-the-cusp uh, thought. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think it might change. There might be specific things that change that. Um, if there are like abilities or interactions that care about characters, um, being dazed or healthy other than that but i can't really think of many right now uh so that, i know we're gonna have one when we talk about hella but i think right now i think you're right no that's a great point um and one we can circle back to right but the meta can definitely change to make that that different but right now to me the main benefit of scoring and contesting when healthy i would rather have stuff on my healthy side and, and i'll use one of the best characters in the game and one of my favorite characters captain america as an example mm -hmm. Can you imagine how much more uh, devastating Cap would be if his sides were flipped? If you had this incredibly tanky, tough-to-remove side and the healthy side, and then he got squishier on the damage side, mm -hmm. he'd just be so much stingier for the, those. And don't get me wrong, I understand why Thomas Mass Games didn't do it that way. <laughs> uh, um, but but I, again, I, I think just, just skewing towards the healthy side, I think, would be uh, my preference right now. I agree. And I suppose I'd also add that hit points are probably one of the least impactful things to change when you um, flip because at the end of the day you're still going to need to have them all worked through if you get KO'd um, it's not nearly as big a deal for Thor as it is for someone like Modok who loses uh, one of his key defensive items when he gets dazed um, I think Thor is happy either way now before we move on to Valkyrie I do really want to talk quickly like Obviously, we'll kind of get into Thor and Asgard. Do we see Thor fitting into any of the other affiliations really well? Uh, I do, yeah. I think, well, first off, he is affiliated with the Avengers, right? Um, he is. And he seems like a great Avenger. Um, he's got two superpowers that cost three power. He generates two power a turn. And Captain America makes those powers cost two, right? So that synergy seems pretty clear. Um, where he's just going to be consistently charging around for Asgard or using Strongest Avenger turn on turn. And those savings are going to add up to make, let him make more powerful attacks. Yeah, I'm going to throw out their Avengers Assemble real quickly. We kind of talked about he's already kind of movement, not movement strapped, but he's not the fastest person. So giving him that extra small movement could be really big. Yes, I agree. Uh, that's a really good call. Um, and I mean, Thor is such a bruiser. He's incredibly tough, but he also does huge amounts of damage. So, I mean, this is true for every character, but it's always good to stand next to Captain America, right? Um, Thor's going to take a huge amount of damage before going down, but you really kind of want to deal with him because his damage output and his control are so high. And it's going to be really hard to take out Thor when he's protected by Captain America. No, absolutely. You're you're kind of you're definitely more of the Cabal player than I am. Do you think Thor has a spot in the Cabal roster? Yeah, I think maybe. Um, 
one of the things worth mentioning with Cabal is Red Skull in general has a couple of tools that are really good kind of force multipliers, right? He's got the ability to move people with the cube and he's got the ability to give a character an extra activation. And both of those things just in general work better with more powerful characters. And Thor's a really powerful character. So I think he could definitely work well in that team. All right. And then Wakanda. Uh, Wakanda is definitely the one I'm least excited to see him in, but, but he's so good. I think he'd be fine there, right? Obviously, he doesn't have the Wakandan bonus. He doesn't have a way to reroll, so granting him a reroll might be fine. But I feel like Thor has a lot of ways to dump his own power. What do you think about him in a Wakanda? So I think you're right. He does have ways to dump his own power. But with all the Asgardians, they're generating more power than normal. Um, so, and Wakanda gives you another way to spend it. So that doesn't seem bad. Um, and his strike is high damage, so he is likely to be generating quite a lot of power if you choose to strike often. And maybe if you want to maximize his durability, you can play him in Wakanda and just have him slugging it out with strikes turn after turn, um, re-rolling damage dice to try and get his wild throw, and re-rolling his defense and dodge dice to just keep on trucking. No, that's a great point. I'd love to see him in any of them. And then as you guys get Thor on the table, let us know. Um, again, you can find us on Facebook. You can find the kind of the podcast page at CO Wargaming. Pat and I are both on Facebook independently. And you can find me on Twitter at Sung Su, T-S-U-N-G-T-S-U. Let us know where you think Thor would fit. Uh, we kind of like him everywhere, but I'm most excited about seeing him in Asgard. I think you're going to see Thor on the table a lot. He's really cool. Okay, the other character in the Thor box is Valkyrie. Uh, Brunhilde. And then just to talk about her real quickly, she is Crisis 3, which I think is fantastic. A great uh, dichotomy to Thor coming in at 8. But Valkyrie looks really cool to me. Pat, what did you think of her when you looked at her? I am so confused about what you just said. She's Crisis 3 and Thor is 8? <laughs> Do you mean she's Threat 3 and did I say eight? 5? I said, I thought maybe I added 5 and 3 together in my head. Do I need to do this intro again? I think we just leave this one in. Uh, yeah, she's, she's threat three, Thor is threat five. I think that's fantastic because them adding up to eight is important for things we'll talk about in the future. Yes. What do you think about Valkyrie? I think she's a cool character. She seems like very focused on being a close range damage dealing character, right? Um, she's speed medium. Her defensives are three, three, three across the board. Her total stamina is 11. Like all of these things are super average. And then you look at her attacks and powers. All her attacks and powers are range two, um, but they add up to doing lots and lots of damage. No, for sure. Um, she also has the Asgardian special role, like we talked about. So whenever, we, whenever you think about her costs and things like that, she's going to have that one additional power. She does actually have charge, the actual rule charge, as you can find on Baron Zemo. So she's able to spend two to make a move followed by an attack action. The superpower can only be used once per turn. It's worth noting that it's any attack action. It's not necessarily dedicated to a strike. So she can Dragon Fang after that, which I think was an interesting play. Mm, yeah. Um, her strike is solid, but nothing special, right? It's just five dice. It's actually worse than Zemo's. But Dragon Fang is a really cool and interesting attack. Um, it's range two, seven damage, power three. Um, it automatically applies bleed. Uh, and on a wild, you get flurry. And Flurry is really good. It says, after this attack is resolved, the character may make a strike attack. And then your one attack is getting you seven dice followed by five dice. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Sounds pretty awesome. Sounds amazing, especially when you consider that strike maybe is giving you enough power to perhaps use Dragon Fang for a second time on your second action. 
Absolutely, for sure. It powers you up for another Dragon Fang, possibly, or something else. Yeah, exactly. It's really good. Um, and then she complements those with her uh, Warrior of Legend power, um, which lets her um, turn her dice into hits um, at a ratio of once for every critical and every wild she rolls. Um, this is a really interesting ability from a maths point of view, right, Sung? I mean, by interesting, it's a headache. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it is an interesting ability, for sure. Uh, it's very nice to have. It's an interesting dice-fixing mechanic that I honestly hadn't considered or seen yet. It kind of works like the inverse to cover, almost, right? Yeah, well, the thing that it strikes me, I haven't really thought about it a lot, but what it strikes me is it's not... It doesn't fix your dice in the way that you might think, in that it doesn't make them more average, necessarily, because it's saying... When you roll results that are already really good for you, your dice get better, right? Because crits already are better than a single dice because you're getting a dice plus one or a hit plus a dice. And your flurries might be, sorry, your wilds might be creating flurries. And every time those things happen, you're getting more hits as well. So it means that she has the potential to do really spiky damage. She's much more likely to get very high numbers than normal attackers are. Yeah, I mean, it shifts her whole curve slightly higher. Absolutely. I, I understand what you're saying there. And yeah, essentially, right, you end up with like a one-fourth chance that three-eighths of your die rolls are instead successes instead of failures. There you go. That's the kind of nerdy dice math I wanted to hear. Because <laughs> the modifiers we were looking at is like you can affect blanks and blocks off of it. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a great ability. Uh, it's only on the next attack. So you probably want to use that before a dragon fang. But for two power, I think it's a great ability. I think it's a really cool ability. And again, I love the way Atomic Mass Games is doing things kind of unexpected. Yeah, it's cool. I wanted to add, by the way, the name is really appropriate, Warrior of Legend, just because this rule is going to make her really likely to do something really impressive. That's true. She could create her own legend. I see what you did there. Clever. Uh, similar to Thor, she also has uh, a throw. Her throw is Asgardian Might. She can throw a terrain feature or enemy character size two or less within two and throw it short. But again, we talked about her in Thor, how I love having charge and throw as a package. I love that Valkyrie has that as well. I think it's another just nice way for her to get a little bit of control. If she goes in to try to take someone out, isn't quite able to do it, she either throw to possibly get a little more damage onto him, or she can just throw people away for a little bit of damage saving on herself. Yeah, I think it's interesting because her throw is about as bad as it gets, right? It's range two. It only works on size two. Um, it's not a good throw compared to most. Um, but you know what? It's still a throw, and throws are great. Um, and like you said, it gives her extra control and extra damage that characters without throws just don't have access to. I think it is actually the worst throw in the game, because it also only throws people short. The, uh, but again, it's still a throw. There's one thing worth mentioning, which is you can throw characters at least, right? And some throw only throw okay. terrain. But yeah, it is it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's close to the bottom. Uh, but I really like Valkyrie. Obviously, I think there are clear synergies to her fitting in the Asgardian theme with her being a melee brawler, like Stagger, and even uh, because of the Asgardian keyword, right? Starnable, kind of devastating. So I, I think she fits really nicely in the Asgardian affiliation. I think she's a great addition. Yeah, I like her a lot. So one thing that I was thinking about with Valkyrie is she is very reminiscent of both Baron Zemo and Killmonger, right? They're all characters with mediocre uh, defensive stat lines, mediocre hit points. They all charge. They all do lots of damage at close range. How do you decide between her and those other characters? 
Um, I'm going to leave out the obvious was just affiliation bias, right? I, I think affiliation is going to be the big one where kind of people decide whether I'm going to be Zemo, Valkyrie, or Killmonger, right? But let's leave that aside because that's not a very fun or dynamic conversation. Um, I, so Killmonger, I, <laughs> uh, I don't know if you're baiting me here. Killmonger is a bit divisive. Charles Omnis, who just created his own podcast, Omnis Protocol. Check it out on Patreon. Uh, Killmonger is fantastic, but I don't like Killmonger without Usurp the Throne. I don't know why. I can't get around that in my head. Killmonger also has clear benefits to being able to double attack, and and, and setting that up can be awkward at times in my personal experiences. I understand why you're comparing Valkyrie to Killmonger, uh, but I think Valkyrie works a little bit better in a vacuum. Um, that being said, I've only gotten Valkyrie on the table once, um, so, so I definitely need more experience there. Zemo is able to buff people until he gets in, so I think that's an interesting comparison. Which way are you leaning on it, Pat? Yeah, I mean, Zemo has a slightly better strike, and it applies bleed, but that's fairly negligible. Uh, he's got a couple of other minor differences, like one less hit point. But yeah, the main thing is he's got strategic genius and movement long, right? And... They both got charge. Warrior of Legend and Master Swordsman are fairly comparable. I think the things that Valkyrie has that are setting her apart from Zemo are Asgardian and Asgardian Might. So Zemo has better support and is faster, but she has the control element that Zemo just lacks completely in the throw. And she's generating much more power before engagement happens. And I really like how Valkyrie generates two power turn and has three two cost abilities she's likely using none on the first turn and then on turn two she can charge in plus use warrior of legend or asgardian might um even if no one has damaged her up to that point um so she has a really powerful initial wave of attacks maybe better than zemo um but on the other hand she's slower so maybe it's going to take her longer to actually get there in the first place yeah, it's interesting. I like the Zemo and her comparison. I think there's going to be a lot of comparisons across the two. I'm not saying one is better than the other. Um, the Zemo's rerolls are very nice. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I'll have to get it on the table to, to, to feel that. I think a lot depends on kind of the role you need to fill. If you just want a buffer, if you want someone to hang back and you're not super upset about them camping at an objective, but you don't want a blaster, I think you'd evaluate Zemo. But I'd normally rather have a blaster filling that role. So I get some additional benefit out of them. So I'm not sure. I'm leaning towards Valkyrie right now. I also think that for a melee beater, again, the Asgardian uh, affiliation bonus, again, assuming I'm taking Thor, is pretty big for me. If I if I want Crossbones to be able to attack twice, my ability to drop Stagger is, is really important. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, I think it's also worth noting that they're very similar. And like you said, the affiliation matters a lot. But maybe you just want both of them. You know, if your team wants that kind of aggressive melee output and they're both good at doing it maybe there's an argument for just taking both they're only three three threat each that's a good point and zemo so far with the asgardian models we covered grants them a reroll which they currently don't have so i could definitely see some synergy there so yeah i definitely wouldn't be opposed to the core of a team being thor valkyrie and zemo i could definitely build something out from there and be pretty excited about it yeah for sure okay moving on to the next cards the next things we have are tactics cards pat and i talked about tactics a bit last week um we're going to start with the big one kind of the asgard exclusive it's called odin's blessing pat what did you think about this i definitely had to reread it multiple times to fully understand the card yeah it's kind of a lot of people say that right i've spoken to a few people and they don't get it and then you read it again you and the penny drops you go oh this is awesome um and that's because Odin's Blessing, the way it works is 
when you would take damage, you pay your three power, you pay your card, and then that damage becomes one. It says is reduced to one. Uh, and a lot of people misread this as reduced by one. And they think, oh, this is awful. But reducing a big attack to being only one damage is amazing. It's potentially a huge amount of damage prevention. And it's damage prevention at a time that can really frustrate your opponent and ruin their plans because it happens just after they've done a big attack. Um, maybe they won't be able to account for it or they won't be able to react before handing priority back to you. No, I think it's huge. Obviously, we talked about Thor coming in at 14 stamina. That's gigantic. I immediately thought about Hulk as well, but you were kind enough to remind me that this does have to target an Asgard character. And until we get Ragnarok Hulk, he's still just an Avenger. Yes, that's true. Um, but despite that, it's really good. Uh, we spoke in a previous episode about how affiliation um, cards are often very defining of the affiliation. I think this is no exception. It's incredibly powerful. Right now, my initial impression is I would always take this if I was in the Asgard affiliation. And I think it's a very strong draw to the affiliation, perhaps even more so than the leadership. Um, it's, I think it's fair to say that at least on paper, it seems to be the most powerful defensive card that we have uh, currently available, even better than something like Patch Up um, in how much damage it can potentially mitigate. And I really like how it messes with how your opponent plays because it discourages them from making big attacks against your characters. No, absolutely. It, it kind of helps limit, like, Killmonger hits you pretty hard and then it hits you really hard in his next activation, right? Or it's not next activation, but his next attack, excuse me. And you definitely have to think about, like, well, all I'm going to do is bleed out this Odin's Blessing card with it. Um, it's a fantastic card. And I would agree, as far as defensive ones go, it's huge. I had been taking recalibration matrix a lot to try to mitigate offensive dice spikes by my opponent, simply allowing me to reroll my defensive dice and hoping for spike as well. This obviously removes that. I don't have to hope for anything. I'm just spending three power. And then the amount of damage suffered is reduced to one, which is amazing, which also, as you mentioned, negatively impacts things like strike for them. They, they, they only gain power for damage that they actually do. Right? Yes, exactly. It's very good at stopping abilities like strike. Um, I can't think of many other things that it really thwarts. It's worth noting that a lot of attacks have a special effect that triggers when they do one damage, and Odin's Blessing won't stop that um, because it still has one damage. Um, but despite that, it seems like a really strong card. Absolutely. It's a phenomenal card. Um, I'm really excited for it to be in there. I think it's going to be very uh, interesting to play around it. I mean, right? people have already kind of had fits dealing with Ultron, Right, and, and Odin's blessing is definitely a, a different take on that. Uh, more definitely harder to deal with, in my opinion, than Ultron was. Um, so we kind of agree this this changes the way that opposing sides have to play into. Right, it definitely changes the way an opponent has to think and approach you. And to me, that's a lot of value coming out of attack. Yeah, I think probably um, you just have to accept you're going to make a big attack and it's not going to work. Kind of in the same way that when your opponent has Brace for Impact, you still have to throw, right? Because if you never make any throws, then Brace for Impact is essentially working every single turn. Uh, you just have to accept that one of your powerful moves is going to get thwarted, and that's really going to blunt your initial impact and potentially stop you from making a key play that could swing a turn. 
Absolutely. Slight follow-up, you mentioned it. What do you think about combining Odin's Blessing and Patch-Up? Um, I think it's a good combo. I think, in general, um, anytime you're stacking defensive abilities, it can become too much to work with. Um, and I think it's only a minor synergy, but I like the fact that you can have a character that's a little bit damaged, and your opponent really then wants to daze it or KO that character before it can activate, and Odin's Blessing gives you that breathing room um, to stay alive long enough to then be patched up, or indeed just to be healed with the Asgardian affiliation ability. It seems like a, a good but not game-breaking synergy. Yeah, that's kind of where I ended on as well. It definitely was something I looked at. It's something I'll consider. Thor coming in with those 14 stamina again is big. Uh, whether or not it's worth that second slot, I don't know. Only time will tell. We kind of talked about it, the, the opportunity cost, everything. Picking crisis cards is hard. There's a lot to building a roster in this game. Mm, yeah, really hard. All right, the last card included. Well, no, the last card included in this box that we're covering on this podcast is Thunderwave, and Thunderwave is an interesting one. It's very reminiscent to Ricochet Blast, but Thunderwave is a beam five, six dice attack, zero power to use. It's active, but it requires Thor's activation, and he's within one of Captain America. They each may spend two to use this card, correct? Yep. And then what it does is, like you said, it just does a six damage beam five. Is that good? I mean, a six damage beam five is really good in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit situational, um, but it's pretty easy with such a big beam to hit multiple characters. Um, it's a little bit expensive in power, but that power cost is spread across two characters, so maybe that makes it a bit easier. It gives the team another angle of attack um, that might make it difficult for your opponent to uh, account for in their play. Overall, I like it, um, and I'd certainly consider it if I were taking Thor in the Avengers, where he's more likely to be standing next to Captain America anyway. Yeah, I mean, a couple downfalls of it. I don't know if it hits the same power level of other cards we've talked about. You can check out our last episode on Crisis Cards to look at that. Another thing is Thor needs to be really close to Captain America, right? That's range one of each other. They are, they are. I mean, I know they're buddies, and I know you probably want them close for the bodyguard anyway. They're both medium speed, but they have to be very close to each other in order to utilize this. Yeah, for sure. And it might just pan out that all of that stuff combined is a bit too restrictive. Um there's already a lot of really good uh, cards available, and it might you might just find that this ability is cool, but you know what? We only take it in very specific circumstances. Yeah, I agree. I think a meta could dictate it if you knew, if in the future, uh, let's pretend hypothetically uh, that there's a lot more lower casting characters, maybe the game in model count has bloated. I think you could see it more, but for me, it's a little too restrictive for me to want to take it that often. When, when I think about it pragmatically, when I go back to who, what, when, where, how are we using this, right? We're going to have to be using this on at least round two, which is fine. Cap is going to have to activate first. Thor is going to have to walk up next to him. And then Thor is going to have to pop the Thunder Wave in my head to actually get a decent beam. So all in all, it just it probably doesn't make my cut, but I will at least consider it when I'm playing the two in Avengers. Yeah, it's asking a lot. I think one thing to look out for is as we get more cards over time, look and see if there's anything that combos with this. If there's a card that um, buffs a big attack, you know, a, a beam five is an attack that would really benefit from extra dice or other effects. No, absolutely. I mean, we talked about it. Smash would be fantastic for this, right? Mm -hmm. But the downfall is I'm using two cards in order to get this beam attack out of it. So so uh, are, are we actually seeing benefits there or am I better just taking Iron Man, flipping them and then cracking on his beam? 
Uh, there's a bunch of different ways to approach it. I, I think it's a cool card. I love the fluff in it. The art was really cool. It's just, I, I don't know how often it's going to make it into my quote unquote competitive crisis teams. Yep. Agreed. All right, Pat. Well, that's the box. We covered it. We are right on time with where we'd like to be. Um, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you're a patron, patreon.com slash across the Bifrost, you can uh, become a patron for $1 or $2 an episode. We really appreciate it. It kind of just keeps the spice flowing, helps us pay for all the hosting and everything that we do in order to get this on Apple Pod, excuse me, on Apple Podcast, iTunes, I think that's called. I don't use an Apple device. Spotify and other things like that. We thank you so much. Uh, if you are a member of the Patreon, you can follow up with the after the credit scene where we'll talk about Fear Grips World as worthy terrorized cities. So Pat, Thank you so much for joining me to talk about the Thor box. And for everyone on the Patreon, we will be right back with the after the credits scene. Somewhere across the Bifrost Way up high There's a part that I've heard of Once in a lullaby Somewhere across the Skies are blue And the dreams that you dare to dream Really do come true Welcome to episode 10 of Across the Bifrost. I'm your host, Sung Soo, and I'll be joined shortly by my co-host from London, Pat Dunford. Initially, we're going to talk about crisis cards, kind of building up to a point where we can talk about rosters in a whole, but Atomic Mass Games dropped a doozy on us. I have a lozenge in my mouth. I'm going to spit it out. I don't know why I'm so bad at this. <laughs> I like how you notice mid midline yeah it's like clanking my teeth and i'm like the mic has to be picking this up this is this is, this is a god-awful idea i didn't notice until you mentioned it and now in retrospect yes right yeah and then that's all i can hear when i'm editing and then i'm like trying to get the sound out and it's just like it's masochism is what it is it's masochism pat Okay, I'll do a brief after the credit scene lead-in, and then um, we can kind of go forward from there. Okay. And if you ever want to do any of these lead-in patches, just let me know, by all means. Oh my gosh. You're welcome to. Yeah, I'm giving a lot of power away here. What is my job going to be? <laughs> if not lead-ins, then what? Yeah, then I'm nothing. 